Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference on how to scale mobile and digital deployment in clinical trials. The panel was led by Bayer's Michelle Shogren with PRA Health Sciences' Ken Tolke and MC10's Dr. Arthur Combs. For details on the upcoming 2020 conference, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much. I uh, I am super excited to be the moderator for this panel. And like Dan said, we're going to be talking a little bit around kind of getting out of Pilotville. We mentioned that some of the keywords for this conference, the first one was deployment. That means you get out there and you do something, but you got to get to the scalability piece of it in order for it to really start making a difference. And that's what we're trying to do. So I have some esteemed guests that I'd like to welcome up to the stage. We have Art Combs. And Art is... Um, with MC10, and I think the interesting thing about him is that um, he is definitely somebody who is involved in this field, but he's passionate about being an entrepreneur. So that tells me that he's good at seeing unmet needs, he's seeing problems, and finding new ways to tackle them. So we're excited to have him with us. He's with MC10, like I mentioned. And then we have Art Combs, and you might have heard him at the microphones. I love how engaged he is. He's definitely also very passionate. Why did I do that? Kent, Kent Tolkies. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> You've been renamed just for the, this panel. Art and art. No. <laughs> um, and I think that one of the things that you're really passionate is, is about bringing clinical trials to the patients and to all of the patients out there. And through mobile, we can do those kind of things. So um, we're going to go ahead and get started here a little bit. And I guess I'll let you guys introduce yourselves a second. So... Art? I'm the real Art Combs. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to see if they were paying attention. I'm you a uh, physician by training, and I'm the chief medical officer for MC10. Uh, and I'm Ken Tolkien, the chief scientific officer at PRA Health Sciences, a global contract research organization. And in that world comes uh, data, mobile, patient access, things like that. Perfect. So if we're talking about escaping Pilotville, I think the first thing that we have to do is define what Pilotville is. So in your opinion, um, what do you think is, is the true definition of being in Pilotville? Is this trying little incremental things, kind of like what Craig was talking about earlier, or is it something else? For me, it's a little bit of uh, Groundhog Day. It is insanity that we continue to live through over and over. I think that um, we continue to pilot things that are already proven. So, and, and we're just having some conversations about this. I think this is a little bit um, a problem with pharma, right? So we have all of these people within pharma, and then they move to a different job and a different company and a different job and a different company, and new people come in, and then they don't have the history, and then they repilot things. And we get in this continuous circle of piloting technologies that everywhere else in the world have already been validated and used. And so uh, when we're talking about um, provision devices versus BYOD, if you think about how you live your daily lives, if we required everybody in this room who did mobile banking to wait for a provision device to come to your house, you could mobile bank every day. Nobody would accept that. Nobody piloted that. Nobody piloted. When your company moved to email back when the 80s were coming, nobody piloted that. These things didn't get piloted to death. And, and somehow we created this artificial world in pharma that says we have to pilot everything until we've done it a thousand times and then we can release it. And that's just not true. We have to get out of that paradigm. 
Art? I think there are two reasons for Pilotville. One of them is legitimate and one not so much. Um, I think there's a little bit of the not invented here. Everybody wants to kick the tires for themselves. And if you're the person charged with being uh, the person who integrates so-called digital into your trials, and your boss says, well, did you try it out yourself? And you say no, I think that's probably a driver, uh, whether it, that's legitimate or not. But on the other side, um, you should ask yourself the question, why do they want to pilot it? What do they really want to know? In our case, with regard to wearables, they want to know, will people wear them? Will they wear them 24 hours? Will you get good data yield? Will they wear them while they're sleeping? You know, they, they want to know the answer to the practical questions. And I think it's incumbent upon us to have those answers at the ready so they don't have to enter Pilotville again. So just by a show of hands, have any of you ever felt you were stuck in Pilotville or that you've seen this occur in some form or fashion? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's a common occurrence, right? And we always have justifications, I think, for it. Um, I've heard things, at least around Bear, um, where we're like, well, it's different in this certain instance. Somehow there's one little piece that's completely different than how anything else in the rest of the world has ever done it or anything else we've ever seen. So um, for you guys, what do you think are the, some of the biggest hurdles that are keeping us in that Pilotville kind of feeling? Well, I think that uh, the bottom line question people have is, will these new digital data, will these new digital biomarkers be rec recognized by the regulators as being legitimate endpoints for drug regulation? That's where we all want to get to. I don't think anybody doubts that data from the home is better, that data that are continuous is better, that data are, that are specific to a particular disease entity are better. Everybody kind of gets that. But when it comes to registration trials, there are the so-called gold standards and everybody wants to revert back to them. I think the escape from Pilotville is to acknowledge that. And instead of doing 36 of your coworkers, you should make it a little branch with exploratory endpoints of one of your phase two trials. There's your chance to get to play with the device. The endpoints are inconsequential. But if you like what you see, there's your chance to advance them in later stage trials and to already understand both the practical uh, aspects of using the technology as well as the value of the data they produce. Yeah, and I think we have to remind people that a lot of the things we're talking about have already been done. It's just we're putting them in a different environment. So uh, the discussion around ECOA and EPRO, that, that's already well validated for 20 or 30 years. We've been doing it. It's been in web apps. It's been a computer. We're just putting it in a mobile form, most of which has been validated. So it, we're not trying to reinvent something. It's already happened. It's there. E-signature has already happened. It's being used worldwide in every other industry except ours. We also have connected devices. The class two medical devices that are approved by CDRH and the FDA are already used. So we're just connecting those into clinical trials. So we're not asking people to go rogue and do things that have never been approved or validated. This is an ecosystem that we're putting together 
in a mobile environment to lower the barrier of entry for patients to participate in trials. Today, the fact that we have an industry that allows only 5% participation rate is unconscionable to me. What we should be doing, the reason everybody in this room got into this business was to make patient lives better. The question shouldn't be uh, why we shouldn't do things or why things can't be done. The question we should all be focused on this room is how do we utilize a technology that is today used by over 5 billion people on the planet, which are mobile phones, to lower the barrier to entry to make sure that we democratize access to healthcare and to clinical trials. That number should be 95% access, not 5%. And the fact that we continue to have the conversation about all the reasons we can't deploy this and why we need to be in a pilot bill versus in a scalable, it, it drives me nuts. I'm gonna have to go do something else where I have a lower heart rate because it's nuts, <laughs> right? So we should all be collaborating. And when we, we talk about kind of open source ideas and, and pre-competitive, to change the world, we are gonna have to figure out a way to do this together and, and say how can we do it, not why we can't. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a big piece of it is just we have to start pushing. And I wonder, in, in hearing what you guys are saying, one of the things you mentioned, Art, was the fact that nobody has really submitted a trial doing some of these things yet. And so we're very leery of it. We're like, oh, what's going to happen? I wonder if it is going to be a light switch moment where as soon as that gets published and we see what happens with it, that people are now going to feel like, okay, now we can do stuff. Like, do you think it's going to change in that aspect? Or do you think it's going to still be, okay, well, they did it, but they got lucky. So I don't know if I want to take the risk. Well, the medical literature is pretty clear. Depending upon what therapeutic area or even specific disease entity you're interested in, the kind of data that you can gather, so-called real-world data, people's activity, people's sleep, people's vital signs, their body position and posture, these kinds of things that tell you how the person is doing have all been published repeatedly in the peer-reviewed literature to have significance with regard to prognosis, significance with regard to disease progression, and significance with regard to therapeutic effect. The literature is there. Who's not there is somebody to connect the dots between, well, if this is an interesting finding published in the literature, how can I make that an endpoint in my trial, and how can I convince the regulators that it's as good or better than the so-called gold standard? And let me just say one thing about that. There are lots and lots of gold standards that are not terribly gold. Many of them <laughs> are, are entirely subjective. We do a lot of work in the uh, neurodegenerative disease space. We have the UPDRS, the UHDRS, the EDSS. This is some person looking at another person and assigning an integer value to a particular symptom. And this is the standard by which drug efficacy is going to be measured. So a lot That's of silver and bronze standards out there probably, yeah. right? Or copper. Or copper, yeah. <laughs> so. I, mean, I do think on the, on the scale side, and I think this is interesting again on, on just where we're at. So if you think about the Stanford uh, Apple Heart Study, right? Mm -hmm. They enrolled 419,000 patients in eight months. 
e-consent, e-signature, collected their vitals with the Apple Watch, validated the AFib piece. The Heartline study will enroll 180,000 patients. So when people come to me and say, well, my trial has about 800 people in it, I don't know if we can scale this. I'm like, I mean, 419,000 patients enrolled in the heart study. So I'm, yeah, it's my exasperation, right? (laughs) We can do this. Well, and I think that's what we have to get to. So the title of the talk is, how do we scale so we can get out of that pilot bill. So we do have some success stories. I think, Kent, you were telling me of a really nice example that you were part of. So can you share with the, the audience a little about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it takes um, an innovative company. So we're working with a biotech company in the CAR-T space, so a relatively challenging space in oncology. Um, I think a lot of times you hear when we talk about mobile and the ability to use web apps and things like that, people shy away from oncology because they think it's difficult. Uh, This client really embraced end-to-end. So we created kind of a web app strategy to engage with patients, do e-consent, e-signature, all e-pros. We use the um, program end-to-end to end. So not only does it work with the patients, uh, it also coordinates the pathology with the pathologist and the surgeon. It coordinates all of the visits for the patients, uh, as well as all the EPRO. And what we managed to do was, if you take the pathology piece, the surgical piece, uh, that process took about a week and a half or two weeks. Uh, Using the mobile app for everybody involved in that, we have compressed that down to under three days for review of the pathology sample to verify eligibility. The, uh, the time trial for getting those patients in study was about 30 days. We've reduced that down to less than 10. Um, what is amazing about that trial, we have, um, I think, four or 500 patients in that now, um, is that we have 100% compliance on all events. We don't have 100% wow. compliance in any trial that we run today. Moving that into an entirely digital environment has completely fixed a lot of the issues we have around non-compliance from a data perspective, from a patient perspective. And so that is a trial that we moved at scale. The reason that worked is because we collaborated with the executive management team, the operations team, the therapeutics heads of that client, and everybody went into that meeting figuring out how are we going to make this work in this environment. And that's how it worked. We worked with the regulators. Everybody's on board. This is not a, oh my gosh, this isn't going to get approved when it gets to the FDA. This is a really good example of how something can be done at scale. We have uh, 20 plus uh, pivotal or phase two trials in flight today in either a mobile environment, a web app environment, hybrid, fully virtual, et cetera. So I think that's the other thing, not to freak people out. This doesn't have to be an all in. Right? You can do a virtual hybrid trial. Part of it can be virtual, part of it can be mobile, part of it can be web app. There's lots of ways to do this. Some of it can be provisioned, some of it can be BYOD. You don't have to go all in to make it valuable. So. And I think, Art, you had some example of somebody who was doing really, instead of just kicking the tire, doing serious work, I think, as you were explaining it. So we're really seeing what is the classical technology adoption curve. I think people know about so-called digital and people give lip service to digital biomarkers and people talk about wearables, et cetera. But there are people who are the early adopters. And I'd like to shout out to all of you early adopters. Thank you very much for being customers. (laughs) Because it's amazing to see, because we will talk to top 10 pharma companies both of them doing work in the same therapeutic area, and one of them ready to go 
and the other one, absolutely not. What we've seen with the early adopters is a willingness to do several things. One is to include it in one of their trials right away as opposed to doing a separate and distinct pilot. Number two, to develop exploratory endpoints, to be actually visionary about, you know what, I bet if we measured this in the home, this could turn out to be really important and maybe even better than the so-called gold standard. And we even have a couple of customers now that are willing to go even beyond that and put an extra sensor on a strategically selected body location and say, you know what, we're going to look at this and we're going to examine the raw data and see if we can literally develop a digital endpoint. So that kind of work is going on, but it is clearly the early adopter part of the curve. It has not hit mainstream. But when I think some of these data start to be published or start to be known uh, as part of the drug uh, registry process, et cetera, I think that's what's going to tip it. I don't think it's going to be the medical literature because that's already there. Yeah, and I think that the other thing is to put it in perspective for people. So uh, telehealth already happened. Right? It is happening. We are managing patients and their healthcare and disease management in telehealth models, in mobile collected models. So uh, we're not asking people on the clinical side of the world, clinical research side of the world, to do things that aren't already happening in healthcare. And, and I think what's more important, and I mentioned this earlier, you know, the majority, if you look at the stats out there today, of millennials no longer have a primary care physician, right? So it's 70 plus percent or something like that operate all of their healthcare engagements for their primary health through telehealth models or through ambulatory clinics. If the majority of the patients that are about to come to the system that are going to participate in our trials no longer have their healthcare delivered in the model that we have created to run trials, my question is how are we going to run trials? And when you think, we talked about shareholder value and stakeholder value, the average clinical trial that we run today enrolls somewhere below 0.5 patients per site per month. There is no other industry out there that would accept those types of numbers. And so when you think about the ability to scale up and get out of pilot bill, the reward is huge. We're talking about enrollment rates. When you look at the trials that are run in this environment versus the traditional model, we are accruing at 10x those numbers. What, and that automatically uh, translates into shorter clinical trial development times, smaller budgets, greater spend, greater, or greater ROI on the spend. And so there's so much value in moving forward in this model and, and matching where healthcare already is. We cannot be, we are being left behind. We can't afford to be left behind. And if we will get to that cliff and we are getting there quickly, where, where pharma I think is gonna be um, unpleasantly surprised that healthcare is no longer willing to play in our arena anymore. So I'm hearing from what you guys are saying that there has to be intention within the organization that you are not just kicking tires, that you are really doing this with a forward-facing goal of implementing it in a larger scale. I think that's a big differentiator probably in the people who are stuck in Pilotville and the people that are moving into that early adopter phase. And I'm also hearing that there is a difference between living in Pilotville and 
the early adopter, even if it's not an enterprise level, where we say we're doing this across all studies that are coming forward in this indication or something like that. So it's already moving the needle a good bit to be able to get over into the early adopter phase with the intention that there's a potential for future to do more. So would you have like a call to action? We have about four minutes left. Just to the audience as far as how to kind of do something that themselves. Because sometimes we feel like, well, that sounds great, but how am I going to make an impact? How am I going to make a difference? Are there any calls to actions um, that they can take away from this conversation to make a difference in their place? Well, I think you have to anticipate what your customers' needs are, not to restate the painfully obvious, but they run pilots because they want to ask and answer certain questions. You can do them a favor by doing that in advance, a priori, by yourself. They want to know, will they wear the wearable? They want to know, will they wear them all night? They want to know, will they wear them seven days in a row? Will they get good data yield? We purposely did our own study on just wearability. Not the pivotal trial that got our, our, our product approved. We did a separate usability study so that when people said, well, what about skin reactions? What about this? What about that? We actually had answers, and I like to think that inoculated us against at least a few pilots. The second call to action is to say, look, if you really want to know what this can add, put it in a trial. Put it in. Maybe put it in a quarter of the people. Make, make it an exploratory endpoint. Do something. But get the real answer to the question, not will somebody wear it, but will somebody with disease X taking drug Y, will they wear it, and give you interesting new insights from the home? Yeah, and I think just being willing to, to your point, Art, I think this is critical, uh, integrate it into your protocols, and it doesn't necessarily have to be all in, right? You can take some of those hybrid steps to get everybody comfortable. So uh, if you're already using ePro, it's not that big a leap to use both ePro that are provisioned and BYOD. To the point earlier, um, that data is already out there, and I, I think that's, it's accepted. So uh, there are pieces to develop it, but you need to write it into your protocol. And what you need to do is when you're sitting around the table thinking about your protocol design and your patient population, really look at the view of the patient and figure out how you can lower those barriers to entry and then integrate it in a way that everybody's comfortable with. And I think that hybrid model is a really good approach for most clients. Um, and then once they get comfortable with it, you can take what you learn in that hybrid model, either from exploratory endpoints or real endpoints in your phase two and launch it into your phase three. So I think there is a stepwise approach, um, but it should be in actual trials and not uh, isolated to kind of um, innovation groups within your company doing pilots on small groups that aren't even applicable. Yeah, and I would say one other thing in addition to your call to action, my call to action for you guys is if you're in a meeting and somebody brings up a new idea about trying to do something differently, you encourage that group that you're with, wait, 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 let's talk benefits before we talk challenges. Because if you take the opportunity as a group to say, where could this be helpful? 
you do two things. You, if there's nothing where it can be helpful, you don't need to have the conversation about the challenges anyways. You move on. But if there are things that could be helpful and it can make a difference to either the patients or to your company or to the clinical trial or the efficiency or something, then when you talk about those challenges, because there will be some, everything has challenges, right? Especially as complex as a clinical trial, you'll be more passionate about trying to find ways to adapt and overcome those com you know, conversations. And I think everybody in this room can do that. And I, I think the, the one thing, somebody mentioned this earlier, and I think this is such an important message. When you think about what we're asking patients to do as entry to get access to a medication that could be life-saving, we had a conversation with a, one of the rare patients' um, parents. So she had a child with a rare disease. To participate in that trial, she had to drive three or four hours once a week and be in the clinic for five to eight hours. She had an hourly job. She was divorced. She didn't have daycare access. I mean, it was financially impossible for her to participate in the model of the trial we had created. By making that a mobile trial and taking away the geographic issues for that patient, it made, it, uh, made that able to happen. That patient's life is changed. The difference is, given the opportunity, she would have said no to that trial without a mobile component. That shouldn't happen. It absolutely shouldn't happen, and it doesn't need to. So I think that that piece around thinking about the patient is the most important part of what we're doing here. And our ability to change patient lives with something as simple as a mobile engagement is phenomenal. Thank you very much. No, we're out of time. Any questions or, or quick thoughts? No? Well, thank you very much, guys. I think it was a great discussion, and I appreciate your viewpoints and your expertise in this. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference. For information on the upcoming 2020 event, visit theconferenceforum.org.